I'm on a Jesus series, and it, it, it's kind of like Paul the Apostle in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. What he said was, uh, when I went to you, I, I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And he said, and I came in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. He said, my, my, uh, my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and power. Why? So that our faith, yours and mine, the Corinthians and now ours, would not rest on the wisdom of men, the logic, the novelty, the viewpoints, the sophistication, but on the power of God. Jesus is the name above every name. Jesus is eventually every knee will bow and every tongue will confess his lordship. Uh, I want to tell you that he's a sinner's savior. He's the king of kings. And I have five points I want to give you. So as I promised, if you're a note taker, I'm going to give you a heads up. And you can get most of what I'm going to share on a note like this. I've got just a window of time right now. We've had already a wonderful service. Aren't you glad you've come? Aren't you glad you're sitting by the people you're sitting by? Got to just go like this. Just cross your arms and go. Yeah, just, do, just do that. That's all you need. You don't need to over... I, you know, it's good to, it's good to be amongst uh, like-minded people. It's good to be... And I'm glad you've come. And even if you're a skeptic, cynic, or an a- atheist or agnostic and you're here, I know you're seeking then, and I'm glad you're here. You're welcome here. And I pray you find what God has for you. And um, just want you to know that. And, and if you're here to spy out our liberty we have in Christ, I want to tell you where the Spirit of the Lord is. There is liberation. He is the li- so there is liberty. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. So we're free to be servants, and we're free to listen to him and submit to him. So my key text is in Matthew chapter 16, verse 13, and it starts with Jesus going into an area called Caesarea Philippi. I love it that it says, now, when Jesus came, aren't you glad Jesus came? And he went into a district of Caesarea Philippi. He was asking his disciples, big question, who do the people say that the Son of Man is? And the disciples said, well, some of you think you're John the Baptist, others, Elijah. Still others think you're Jeremiah or one of the prophets. So Jesus is absorbing this. He's listening to the current viewpoint, you know, what people are, try, are kind of concluding. Then he goes into, from general to specific, and he says, okay, there's, there's the crowd mentality, but who do you say that I am? And Simon, Jonah's son, Simon Barjona, Peter, he, he pipes up and he says, You are the Christ, the Messiah, the one that we've heard about in our Jewish faith that would eventually come, and and, and you're you're the anointed one, and you're the one that came to set captives free. You're the one that came with the Spirit of the Lord upon you. You're the one that came, and that's why all these signs and wonders are following. You're somebody unique. You're somebody significant. You're somebody special. You're somebody precious. You're somebody valuable. And you are the son of the living God. Jesus said, blessed, fortunate, and to be envied are you, Simon Barjona, because, look, you didn't get this with head knowledge. You didn't get this from book learning. You didn't get this from binge-watching TED Talks. You got this from a revelation of my Father who is in heaven who revealed this to you clearly. You've got something from God. 
You just captured it. You got the essence of it. And in fact, you're, you're, you're Peter. And, and upon this rock of revelation, I will build my church. Look at this. This is good for all of us. And the gates of Hades or the strategies of hell or the ranks of evil spirits with Satan as the boss of it will not overpower the church. Jesus is the anchoring foundation of life. He's the king of kings and he's the Lord of lords. You say, Pastor Jeff, this is the essence of it. I already know this. But yeah, we've got to get to know it acutely. We've got to know what we believe so we're not pushed around, we're not tossed to and fro, and we don't get uh, deceived in any way. We stay strong in this. This is the end time church. God's preparing the way of the Lord. He's bringing strength to his people in order that we can be strengthening as we go and clarifying as we go and believe for greater impact in the world that we live in. Here we are in Chesterfield Valley. There he was in Caesarea Philippi. There Paul was in Corinth when he said, man, I have determined to just make it real and keep it Jesus-centered. And what does that mean? It's a, this movement of Christianity is not just a, a principle-based movement. There are good principles, but it's a person-based movement. And it's not a shame-based movement. Because Jesus endured the cross and despised the shame. He suffered and died for all of us sinful, lost humanity so we could have access to the throne of grace and, and, and be imbibed in and enjoy and, 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 and saturate the, the live, rivers of living water and the abundance of his house that, that he who never sinned became a sin substitute for us so that we might be made righteous with God. And he breaks those sin patterns off of us. And he liberates us out of condemnation. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God has his hand on your life. God, and I'm going to show you some stuff that I, has helped me so much. And I feel real confident about preaching it because I really go to these verses. These are so important to me. And as I was preparing, these things came to me in a distilled way. Number one, this Jesus, he is the Alpha and Omega. Now, if you're a note taker, you better write them fast. Alpha and Omega. Everybody say Alpha and Omega. We're going to get back to that. That, That's really a big deal. Number two, save room for five places. Don't get mad now and put it where you crowd out the five because the five is a biggie. Number two, author and finisher of your faith. Author and finisher of your faith. Number three, number three, the apostle and high priest of our confession. So he's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the author and finisher of our faith. Number three, he's the apostle and high priest of our confession. Number four, he's the shepherd and guardian of our souls. Each one of these you could just live on for days and it will strengthen you and stabilize you and help you. The shepherd and guardian of our souls. There are chapters and verses for this and I'll give them to you in a minute. Number five, He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. God, I pray a spirit of wisdom and revelation would come in this place. I pray, God, you would please use me to speak your word in a way that is is Jesus-centered, sound theologically, good doctrine, and has personal application for each person. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, come on, it's good. So here we are, Alpha and Omega, in Revelation chapter 1, verse 8. I'll show you in that great book, the last book in the Bible. 
He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God. And it's talking to Jesus. This is Jesus, who is, the, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Wow. Say Alpha and Omega. Now, you know, Alpha and Omega are the, the, is the A to the Z of the Greek language. And the, the Bible, the New Testament, is written in common Greek. So when Jesus is saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, he's saying, I'm the A to Z. He's saying, I, I am the first and the last. And in fact, in, in another verse in Revelation 22.13, in Revelation 22.13, it says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He is the bookends of existence. And I'm going to just tell you, that's for us finite humans, because let's just just go out into Albert Einstein and and, and Isaac Newton realm, you know. We we see in finite terms as limited human beings with three-pound brains, but can I tell you that before Abraham was, I am, and he is the eternal He's the immortal and the invisible. So actually, he's the alpha and the omega. Uh, so we can go, oh, okay, I want to wrap my hand around how big he is. But he's actually bigger. Just when you start to see how big he is, he's actually bigger. When you see how good he is, he's actually better. When you see how consistent he is, uh, oh, man, it, it, it'll build your faith and it'll strengthen you and stabilize you. I'm the alpha and the omega. And, and, and uh Isaiah 46.10, Isaiah had such understanding about Jesus. He's one of the prophets that was foretelling that he would be the, the anointed one and he would come and declaring the end from the beginning. God knows more about the future than we do about the past. God has a plan for welfare and not calamity. He has purposes. His son that came and died for us and started the church is coming back for us. And in the meantime, we have supernatural help knowing that he's a very present help in the time of need. He's with us in trouble. He knows all about what's up ahead and we can trust that today. Jesus, let him stabilize you. He is not mystified. He Has it occurred to you that nothing occurs to God? He sits in heaven and laughs. He knows what's going on with the nations. He knows what's going on in your bank account. He knows what's going on with your children and adult children. And by the grace of God, we're going to see the victory. Hallelujah. He's the Alpha and the Omega. Listen to the rest of Isaiah 46.10. Declaring the end from the beginning, from the ancient times, things which have not been done saying my purpose will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure he's coming back to a glorious church without spot or blemish he's coming back to people that are are full of faith in him and my whole reason for preaching about Jesus on Sunday is to build your faith and your confidence in this person who came, that when people were said, well, some say you're John the Baptist, or some say you're Elijah, some say you're a good teacher, some say you're, some, you're one of many that have been energized, and, you know, no, he's the, he's the door, he's the only way. And, and Jesus, he has come to establish some things that his father wanted to have and, uh, restored. Adam and Eve sinned. And failed and disobeyed God. And God promised one day I'm going to send someone who's going to come in and bruise the head of that, crush the head of that serpent. 
and, and, and anoint and empower a people that will tread upon serpents and scorpions themselves and no weapon formed against them will prosper and greater is he that is in them than he that is in the world. I want you to know about how great Jesus is and what he does, what his capabilities are, what his interests are, what his inclinations are. And I want you to know that when you're in Christ and Christ is in you, there's something that you can see about yourself. That's why Jesus said, who do you say I am? And then he said, you're Peter. You're, you know what? You're, you're, you're not like a reed blowing in the wind, a uh, fisherman out on the, on the Galilee. You, you're, I see who you really are and who you really can be, Peter. I see what's going to happen and come, become of you as you receive and respond to what I have for you. And when you get baptized in the Holy Spirit, Peter, it'll never be the same. You gotta, I, I'm going to use you and I'm going to have you write some things. and I'm going to have you pioneer some things. And your life is going to matter. And not only that, he declares the end from the beginning. And in the early church that was built in such conflict, the the end time church is built in such conflict. And yet greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Hallelujah. Number two, he's the author and the finisher of your faith. I love Hebrews chapter 12. It says in verse 1, since we have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, you know, Abraham and Sarah and, and, and Joseph and Moses and David and all the people who lived those durable lives through their courses and through the challenges of their lives and that the example they set. He said, uh, we lay aside the weights and the encumbrances and the sin that so easily besets us. You know, God doesn't want us all oppressed with weights and encumbrances. Those aren't sins in and of themselves, just those weights that try to weigh us down. You have to constantly shake them off. Uh, And the sin that so easily besets us, I heard one minister say that's the sin of discouragement. I heard the Puritans say that they're easily besetting sins that are unique to each and every one of us, you know. The the vices are the things that that we have to fight and battle. But we, we are not defenseless and we're not alone with these things. The force of righteousness and the gift that God gives us helps us to conquer and overcome the world, the flesh, temptation, and the devil. We are more than, we are overcomers. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. I'm not one of these theologians that downplays the idea of him coming alive out of the grave after three days. No, I believe in a resurrected Savior. I believe he was born of a virgin, literally. I believe he led a sinless life, literally. I believe signs and wonders followed him, literally. And I believe he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's my conclusion. But author and finisher, King James calls him the perfecter. The perfecter. He's the author and the perfecter of our faith. And he's working at at making something that's achievable in each one of our lives. I've known many of you. Some of you are brand new. I just met you. But some of you I've known for decades now. And I've seen the hand of the Lord on your lives. I've had the privilege by the grace of God of being planted here in the heartland and watching over the course of time the potential that can come from a yielded Christian who serves the Lord and realizes that he's the Alpha and the Omega, the stabilizer, the first and the last, realizes that he's the, what he authors, he doesn't just drop. You know, there's a, there's a great love song by Paul McCartney. He wrote it in India. It's called I Will. He's real pleased with the melody. He said it's a complete song. It's one of his favorites. 
It's just a sweet love song. I play it on my harmonica to my wife in the car. She, she said, I think, why are you practicing while we're driving? I said, no, I'm playing this. It's romantic. You know, I have to tell her it's awesome. You know, it's, that's, that's when you really, that's when you know you're like Peter Sellers or something in your romance or Pepe Le Pew, you know, in the cartoons. That's, I'm definitely Pepe Le Pew in this relationship. But if you don't know what I'm talking about, Google it after church. But uh, author and finisher, uh, it, it is, you know, this is St. Louis. So it's a it's a Cardinals baseball town, and 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 uh, I looked this up. A finisher is a relief pitcher who can protect a lead in the last inning. Ooh, that's good. A, a finisher is is a relief pitcher called upon by the the moment to come in and and protect the lead in the last inning. He's the author and he's the finisher. Faithful is he who calls you and he'll also bring it to pass. You've heard me quote that verse. When I started out as a Christian, I said, God, I pray that I I stay with it. And I had a friend from high school. He said, oh, I heard you became a Jesus freak. Well, no, I received Jesus. Oh, yeah. And he he, he said, I'll give you five years and you'll be out of it. So that was... uh, you know, in the early 70s, and I remember when I came to five years, I actually did have a hiccup through there and got out of church, but God helped me get back. And, and um, that five-year mark, it was like, wherever you are, nanny, nanny, nanny goat, you know, the, 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 the Lord stepped in to help me, and he steps in to help you. And the 11th hour and the 59th minute and the 59th second, he's with us. In high times and hard times, what he starts, he completes. He's the author and the finisher. We work on projects, and my wife is adamant about completion. I am too, really. I'm not just like lollygagging in the process. I do believe he's the author, the sustainer in the process, and the completer. I love the process. I love the event, but I love the process. And you are God's workmanship created in Christ for good works, which he prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. Eye has not seen nor ear heard nor has it entered the heart of man the things God has planned and prepared and put together for you. He knows the end from the beginning. He has a plan. He has purposes. We can trust that when we see the alarming things going on in the world around us as did so many generations past, being surrounded by that cloud of witnesses. We take our convictions and hold them deeply. We refuse to be shaken because, in fact, we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken. 1 Corinthians 3.11 says there's no other foundation that can be laid except Jesus Christ. He is the chief cornerstone. He is the anchoring hope of our lives. He is the one that is faithful. He started something. He's going to bring it to pass. He started something with you. He's going to finish something with you. He is working on you. You're the clay. He is the potter. And you're on his wheel. And he's working things out on you. He's developing things in you so that he can manifest things through you. Number three, I love this, Hebrews chapter 3, verse verse 1, Hebrews 3, 1, my wife's laughing at me, stumbling on that, thank you, (laughs) Pepe Le Pew here with the cat, I hug her and she goes, oh boy, just look at Pepe Le Pew, that's our marriage, okay, (laughs) therefore, therefore, holy brethren, look, listen, look at this, these are fighting words. The writer of Hebrews says, therefore, 
holy brethren. Look at somebody next to you and say, holy brethren. Look at somebody else and say, oh, you righteousness of God in Christ. Go ahead and say that. Turn around and look at somebody and say, hey, what's up, new creation? Look at somebody else and say, what's it like being the head and not the tail, above only and not beneath? More than a conqueror? More, these are fighting words. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider Jesus. Look at this. The apostle and the high priest of our confession. An apostle, the Greek word, it's a, it's a simple word. It's apostle, is apostelos, and it means sent one. Jesus was dispatched by the Father in the fullness of the times. At the proper time, Christ died for the ungodly. When he came on the scene, it was 4,000 years after the promise in Genesis. God's not slow, as some count slowness. He was patient with humanity. And when it got real weird, they started building a tower to themselves. And he said, hey, um, they're in agreement. And I got I to divide their languages. Because the power of agreement is starting to work in evil, fallen humanity. And I can't allow that. And then when it got so ugly that he had to flood the earth, that he found Noah that had the pure, the, 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 he, had, and he was righteous in his time, and he, he wasn't perfect, but in his time there was purity and there was a bloodline was pure and so forth, and God restored and pre- preserved humanity. A lot of people think, well, if God really, why would he do something that harsh? He did it, he was painful, he did it to save and spare so we could benefit from the righteous moment. And God said, as it was in the days of Noah, so too shall it be when the Son of Man returns. Wars, rumors of wars, famine, pestilence. We just came through a global pandemic. It punched a sucker punch in the small business businesses. It sucker punched education in our young people. It sucker punched uh, the, all, every strata of society, include, including the church. But see, Jesus, because he said, I'll build my church, he said, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And there's been a cleansing and a clipping of branches and a pruning and a preparation. And as a pastor, I am thrilled with what's happening in the midst of the garbage. I'm not attributing any glory to the sickness or the pains or the challenges. I'm attributing glory that when the, what the enemy means for harm, God turns around for good. And even in your personal lives, the things you've been through are marks of his grace. You have a testimony. You have an example, painful as, you, as it was. Tears of challenge and hurt and rejection. Disappointment that you didn't expect. But yet God brought you through. You're still breathing. You're still here. You're still willing to seek God. You still love Jesus. You're still reading your Bible because he's the author and the finisher. He's the alpha and the omega. And he's the apostle and the high priest of your confession. Your confession is strong. Listen, there are creeds and there are... There are statements. We're part of, they, they call this movement a confessional movement. We, are, we confess Jesus as Lord. And we believe in our heart God raised him from the dead. And the miracle of confession precipitates change. We, when you and I, we confess our sins. The Bible says he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. To confess 
Jesus as Lord means you acknowledge him. To confess your sins means you're admitting it. I, I've been around Christians that fake it all the way through. They use some of the, the I'm a new creature to, to, instead of just say that you're weird. It's okay. Admit, own up to some of your, just please be honest about it. We, I know you're weird. You know you're weird. Quit acting like you're... And they offset it oftentimes and try to act more... They embellish like they're more spiritual than everybody else. Really, all they're doing is trying to scramble to get away from their insecurity. It's like, just deal with it by confessing it before the Lord. You, are you afraid that if you confess it, somehow people will not? We already know it. Yeah, there's no pretense necessary here. Well, I go, I go to the Lord, it's like, God, I, just as I am, you know, he, you see everything about me. I'm not hiding anything. You know when I'm doing great, you know when I fail. You know my down sitting and my uprising, and you love me anyway, and you love me anyway. And when I think because I'm doing good, you love me more, that's not true. And when I fail, do you love me less? No, you are faithful, you are, because God is love. So much so that he'll take us right where we are, but he won't let us stay stuck in it. Right? He's the apostle sent to be the high priest and overseer of our confession. The high priest. We have a high priest. And and it says we don't have a high priest who cannot sympathize with us. Because he was tempted in all points as we, yet without sin. That's what's breathtakingly amazing about Jesus. He never failed. He did all things well. And I don't turn him into a superhero or a Marvel guy, he, but I do marvel at him, and I do think he's super. But I know that he, like Peter said, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. I have a lot of Jewish friends, and I feel privileged to be grafted in to their God's goodness. I'm a, I was Gentile. I was not a Jew. And I, had, I was out of the covenant framework of the Jewish people. That's why the devil hates them so much, because they are in a covenant because of Abraham. Yeah. And God, John 4, Jesus said to the Samaritan woman, salvation comes through the Jews. That's why, if you want to know, a quick uh, cliff note on why there's been such hatred from Haman to Hitler to Hamas, the hatred toward the Jewish people is because salvation has come through them. Jesus, Jesus, my rabbi friend, they, they, he knows I, I, I love Jesus and why I, what I believe about Jesus. And, 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 and you know, we, we have a good, honest basis of our relationship. We love each other. And, uh, and I want everybody to know Jesus. He knows that I, I want everybody to be born again. He knows I'm evangelistic. He knows where I'm coming from. He knows my... Uh, exclusivity of who Jesus is. But I'm not going to browbeat people. I'm going to hold it open-handed and trust that the revelation will come through the Holy Spirit and impact their lives. No one comes to the Father unless he draws them. But I believe, like Paul said in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the non-Jew. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. There's a revelation that comes here. Righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, from glory to glory, from breakthrough to breakthrough. This will get on your marriage and it will make it white hot. Even if you're Peter Sellers bungling, 
Even, even if you're Pepe Le Pew and your, your wife just rolls her eyes at most of your romance. I don't know what to do with that. We'll be making out between the services, that's for sure. And she'll be going, oh boy, and I'll be going, mwah, mwah, mwah. I want to bring Pastor Al Green from Memphis to come and sing while I'm court. You don't understand that, never mind. Uh, four point, fourth point while I'm ahead here. First Peter 2.5, he's the shepherd and guardian of our souls. And this is quite important right now. This is, this is, he's put his angels around us to guard us in all our ways. He's given us something in Psalm 512, the shield of faith. He's given us, he surrounds us with favor as a shield. Ephesians 6 Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. Why am I preaching this to you? Because we need it. Why am I articulating this? Because I'm stirring up your sincere minds by way of reminder. And I'm talking to you young people in particular. Because I have been in this thing and I have been looking forward to your attendance. To your moment. And when I was in my 20s, I felt like the Lord spoke to me and said, you're really not for this, these eras. You're for way down the line. So I bypassed joining things, and I bypassed capitalizing on things, and I bypassed a lot of things in anticipation of this season. I've been believing God for this season. And I've been believing God with an eye to your generation. And I'm telling you, There are many tutors in Christ, but there are not many fathers. And when I became a Christian, it was unfortunate how ill-prepared the Christian world was for the the brief and yet real and powerful Jesus movement. There weren't very many leaders or elders. There was a leadership deficit. And so the elders in the meeting where they led me in the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the new birth, they were 18 and I was 16. That's just not ideal. God will use young people, but there needed to be uh, broader, broader uh, levels of, of, of ages. And now, by the grace of God, the Lord has worked to build places like this and people like us for such a time as this. And so here we are now, having experienced some things. And I'm telling you, I'm, I am more enthusiastic and happier and more joyous about ministry and about the purposes of God, about church life, about pastoring, about our era we're in. Uh, I'm not happy about the bad news. I'm sad about what's going on in the world. It's very upsetting, and I'm not playing that off in any way. But what I am excited about is the potential for God to arise and his enemies be scattered and for the believers to be fortified and strengthened and come up into new levels of understanding new levels of joy, new levels of courage, new levels of faith, 
where God puts some backbone in us and where we stand, we throw our shoulders back, we pull our heads up and we lift up our eyes and we realize how faithful God is. When we see alarming things on the news, we lift up our eyes because our redemption draws nigh. We know we're closer to the rapture and the second coming than we've ever been. And God is coming back to a glorious church without spot or blemish. You know, we read about the shepherd and guardian of our souls in 1 Peter 2.25. It says, you were continually straying like sheep. All we like sheep have gone astray. But now you have returned, look, to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. Why would you drift from him when you find out how good he is? Say this with me. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. See, David, and you should go reread Psalm 23, just anticipating the good shepherd. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. In John chapter 10, he said, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. John 10, 11. He laid down his life. I watched, when I lived in Southern California, shepherds with sheep. We've seen videos of them. We drive out in the countryside and we see farmers tending to livestock and you get a revelation of how much they get up early, they work all till dark, they, they, they tend the righteous care for their beast. And we see that modeled and, and, and we see, you know, in modern time now, um, I, I, we bought some eggs and my, our daughter's buying these, you know, $75 eggs, you know, that, and they've got like cards on the names of the chickens in them and stuff like that. And they, they tell about their day and how they, they got up and some of them get up early. It's four o'clock. Some of them sleep in and then they go out and they'll lay an egg over here. It's like, I don't want to know all this. I just want an omelet. But then I, I see the pictures of the farmers and there's his husband and wife and they're young and he's wearing plaid and you can't tell if he's a hipster or a Hoosier, you know, kind of a thing. They all look the same, same haircut, same pants, same boots, all the same. And uh, hipsters and Hoosiers. And uh, uh, if you didn't understand that, just let's just goes along with Peter Sellers and, and, uh, and Pepe Le Pew, but this is good. The anointing's still on me even when I'm talking about all that stuff. A good shepherd makes sure that the sheep are tended to through the course of their lives. He guards them. He tends to them. My daughter and son-in-law visited a sheep farm in New Zealand, and they were invited in through a quirky set of circumstances to go and shear sheep. Chelsea took the pictures, and Brian did the shearing. And I mean, he had his sleeves rolled up, and he's shearing the sheep, and the sheep's looking. The sheep was, the shepherd was standing there, and, and he was, the sheep was looking like, is this okay that the stranger is, you know, with these sharp shears, you know? It was kind of amazing watching the, the treatment, you know, and, and the care. And David understood the responsibility to tend to the sheep. For example, when he was sent by his father Jesse to go check on his brothers in the battlefield. He is really one of the biggest things of the battle with David and Goliath. It was what he did right before. And you notice that as a shepherd, a young man, a teenager, he made sure somebody took care of the sheep when he got ready to go do his other responsibility and run that errand that his dad asked him to. 
Let me tell you, Jesus knows the number of hairs on your head. He knows you're down sitting and you're uprising. He knew when you were awake last night. He knew what you're troubled by right now. He knows how to answer. He has a plan. He doesn't withhold anything. And he knows the end from the beginning, and you can trust him. We had a battle on our day off the other day. We need rest, but the Mondays, you know, we came down here, and we spent about half a day in that window bay praying. And we got a note of victory from the chief shepherd and guardian of our souls. I can't, and I talked to a pastor on the phone this morning about that note of victory. Aren't you glad God hears and answers prayer? He's the author and the perfecter. He's the alpha and the omega. He's the, the beginning and the end. He's the, he's the one that will sustain you. He's the one that got you to this place. He's there for you. He's with you. And I'm almost out of time. Listen. Uh, get on that. Take hold of that. He's the, he's the guardian. He's the guardian. I remember when we were in Kosovo, and I saw the, 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 the NATO troops. They protected us when we were building and when we did a concert out in the open air. There was hostility. There were threats. There was distraction. It was amazing having a tank aimed at the crowd and a machine gun guy standing while you're doing an evangelistic outreach in a town. Guardians. There's a verse in Song of Solomon that says, verse, chapter seven, 3, verse 7, it says, Behold, it is Solomon's couch with 60 valiant men around it. Of the valiant of Israel, they all hold swords, being expert in war. Imagine King Solomon going out, doing all this work, and then going to lay down, and, and he wakes up in the middle of the night to go get a glass of water, and, he, and, he, and there are 60 guys standing there with swords. I mean, that's interesting imagery. And it reminds me of when I was in Kosovo and I saw the troops stacked up in cots in a hot warehouse. And these guys were all sleeping, trying to get rest. And there were people snoring and there were people talking in their sleep and people getting up and wrestling around. And, and, but you, can you imagine uh, uh, Solomon having an army of people all around him to protect him? Let, now let's just look at this further. The angels of the Lord encamp around those who fear him. And listen, we can trust God's protective hand, can't we? Psalm 91, they that wait upon the, the what, what does it say in Psalm 91 verse 1? That, that when we're, we're planted with God and we're seeking God and we're pressing in and dwelling in the shelter of the Most High, we abide in the shadow of the Almighty. In verse 11, it says he's given his angels charge over us to guard us in all our ways. Uh, it, it says they will bear us up in their hands lest we dash our foot against a stone. God's protected you up to this point, hasn't he? He's not going to leave you. He'll, he's with you. You joggers, when you're running, keep your head up, but know that angels are around you. Get, get, just, God has delivered some of us from crazy stuff. I was talking to some of our security guards, and I said, we were stupid when we were young. And they all three, all three of us said, yeah, we were. I remember the stuff I did, and the, God delivered me, and I look back now and realize I had angels taking care of me. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the fact that he's a shepherd and guardian, and he, he's, he's led me to this place, helped me when I went astray. I remember when I was a little boy, and, and, and my brother was younger yet. He was only in a diaper. And our grandmother, who was more maternal in our lives, we were out walking in the canyon behind our house in San Diego, and my little brother bolted off 
and ran to the edge of a, of a pretty good cliff. It would have been good enough to really cause some injury or death in his case. And I watched my little four foot eleven grandma, little petite, little thin lady, do a dive like a sliding into first base. And she grabbed him by the ankle right when he was going over the hill. She was guarding him. She came up all skint up, had strawberries on her knees and everything, and road rash. And I just thought it was like a memory of how you got to watch. But I'm telling you, God is watching you. He has, his, he has his hand on you. If you'll pay attention to him, he'll give you premonition. He'll give you wisdom. No, I shouldn't go skydiving with you. I don't care if you pay for it. You know, no, I'm done. I've retired from free diving in the ocean. I've had some experiences. I'm done. That's good. I'll watch National Geographic. Send me pictures. I'm not fearful, though, because God's not given me a spirit of fear. And lastly, let's all stand up on this last point because I'm done. And I want the musicians to come and we'll sing the, the song we sang in the offering only half, oh, twice as fast. We'll, we'll sing it in a victory, a victory pace. A victory pace. So sweet to trust in Jesus. Say this with me. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That was terrible. Ready? Let's say it all at the same time. Ready? Say this. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's because I left Christ out of it. You should never leave Christ out of it. I'm the one that messed it up. Now, I found a new word, and it defines who I am. I am a continuationist. Now, in theology, there's a camp of cessationists that believe the gifts of the Holy Spirit were done with the days of the apostles. The continuationist believes that the the gifts of the Holy Spirit as described in the book of Acts and in different parts of the uh, Gospels or the epistles is for today. I believe Jesus, and the reason I'm a continuationist is because I see Jesus as a continuationist. What he starts, he sustains. Everybody say this with me. He is the Alpha and the Omega. The author and the finisher of my faith. The apostle and high priest of my confession the shepherd and the guardian of my soul. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Ready? Let's sing this song.